Hello, everybody, and welcome to week 13 of Stat Chasing. I'm joined tonight by Pete, subbing in for Fredrico. And yeah, we have an interesting slate of games to discuss from this past week. Had Mike White step in for the Jets and really make that offense look explosive. We had Sam Darnold maybe breathe some life into the value of DJ Moore. And we also have Deshaun Watson's return looming in week 13 in Cleveland. So a lot of interesting situations to discuss. Pete, thanks for uh, joining me tonight. Yeah, you know, uh, it, you know, Dricko, big shoes to fill. Uh, I thought about trying to do an Irish accent for the next, you know, sixty or so minutes, but uh, you know, I'm I'm getting weak in my old age, and I don't have that kind of bit commitment in me. But excited to uh, check out the charts, do some uh, battle royale drafts, and uh, love what you and Dricko have been doing with the show this year, and uh, happy to hop on. Awesome, yeah. And as Pete mentioned, we're gonna. Do what, what Connor and I normally do. We'll go through all the stats from the past week, uh, talk talk about key situations, and then we'll probably go through it a little bit quicker than normal and then do some Battle Royale drafts at the end on Underdog. So uh, for all of you joining, that's what, what you can expect today. So yeah, without further ado, why don't we jump into the data? So... Um, <laughs> I love the... Uh... <laughs> Are you first of all? Are you are you watching White Lotus? Are you a fan? Yeah, I've I've been pretty addicted to it this this new season. I think I was listening to you and Davis or somebody discuss White Lotus on one of your shows, and I am fully hooked. I, I like the season even better than than season one. Um, I'm I'm the same way. It's it's really good. We won't we won't derail this too much, but I do just want to acknowledge the uh, <laughs> the nod to Mike White, which I appreciate. There also an incredible Survivor uh, contestant as well, Mike White. <laughs> Yeah, and isn't the name of the director actually Mike White for the White Lotus? I think it is. No, yeah, um, that, I assume that's why you were doing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Mike, yeah, yeah. Mike White was, he's the director, but he also appeared on Survivor and was a, a very savvy player. So he has quite the resume. Yeah, yeah, really uh, accomplished name there. But yeah, anyways, uh, let's let's start with talking about Mike White. So just for people following along, this chart, we're looking at quarterback passing efficiency and rushing production. Uh, we have touchdown rate on the y-axis here, you know, percentage of, of throws where you get a touchdown and then adjusted yards per attempt on the x-axis, which is yards per attempt, but adjusted for touchdowns and interceptions. And yeah, it's obviously a one week sample size, but um, Mike White is just an extreme outlier on this chart. He's way far to the right with a 13 adjusted yards per attempt. Now the second best quarterback in the league by that metric would be Tua at just under 10. So really an extreme outlier in his one week sample thus far. But I think we do have a little bit bigger of a sample of Mike White to go off of from last year, where I think uh, I think I heard a stat where two out of his four starts this year, he's been over like 24 fantasy points per game in, in this early in his career. So he, he flashed a little bit last year. Um, yeah, Pete, curious what you think about Mike White as a streamer and then maybe your thoughts on how it affects the rest of the Jets. 
Yeah, I think initially, you know, you just wonder how much is it, how much of it is uh, Zach Wilson just being so bad, and then how much of it was Mike White, you know, performing well, and then you also have to untangle how much of it was the Bears' secondary being really bad. But I think any way you slice it, what Mike White did was really impressive. And I also know last year and heading into this slate, everyone was like, "Oh, he's going to check down a ton to Michael Carter." I know Lord Reeves on Twitter had pointed out, well, the whole reason he checked down to the running backs a ton is because he didn't have any good wide receivers. It was Jamison Crowder pretty much last year. Now you give him Garrett Wilson, who looks like probably the most talented rookie wide receiver in this class, which is saying a lot. And he looks really, really good. So I'm, I'm personally having a hard time untangling like what we can take away from this from a forecasting perspective. I mean, how are you feeling about him going into this matchup with the Vikings, whose secondary just got lit up by Mac Jones as well? Yeah, I, I think I'm tentatively pretty excited about Mike White. Like, I, I'm not someone who does rankings, but I think with the buys and all of that, I would be putting him sort of high-end quarterback two range. And I'm in some leagues uh, more like sort of on a tangent. I'm in some leagues where even one quarterback where all of the good quarterback sleepers or uh, streamers are scooped up and I'm looking to add Mike White in some places. I think it's a good matchup. And yeah, like you said, Good weapons. Uh, Corey Davis is also back for the Jets. You know, that adds another professional wide receiver to the room. Uh, Elijah Moore's role grew a little bit last week. So that three wide receiver set with Moore, Davis, and, and Wilson is pretty strong. And with all the running back injuries, I think they're going to be forced to throw the ball a lot there in New York. So, yeah, I'm not expecting him to you know, be this extreme outlier as we see in the chart here. But I do think he's a pretty solid streamer, at least for this, this matchup against the Vikings. Yeah, I think I'm about with you mid-range QB2. I'm definitely starting guys like Trevor Lawrence and Jared Goff and that kind of game environment ahead of him. I guess it starts to get interesting, like Jimmy Garoppolo versus Miami. J Jordan Love, if we get to start him versus Chicago. He's probably like right in that range. Yeah, I think he's right. He's right in that range. I think I'd be, yeah, I think that's about right. I think you laid it out well where I'm probably going Goff and Lawrence over him, but I think I would go white over Jimmy. Um, but yeah, that, that, that one gets pretty close. Well, not to mention too. I mean, if we have um, Michael Carter, who's, they say he's kind of day to day with this low ankle sprain. I mean, James Robinson scratched last week. They don't have much of a running game. And even if Ty Johnson's the lead back, I mean, he's way more of a pass catching back. Like they could just let him do the Joe Flacco thing where he slings it like 50 times in a game like this, especially after he performed so well last week. Like, I don't know if you're Robert Sala, why wouldn't you give him the keys to, to air it out in this matchup? Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's up some upside there where we know the Vikings, um, if their offense is clicking, they can put up a lot of points. So there's some upside for the game script there, for sure, for Mike White. So, but yeah, I think overall, like, and we can get to this when we talk to other positions, I think the Mike White stuff is like, I'm more excited for Garrett Wilson and even for, you know, stashing guys like Davis and Elijah more than I am for Mike White himself. I just think he really raises the ceiling for for those wide receivers and even the running backs i think from a pass catching uh, perspective for the rest of the way for sure um, yeah so an another um thing i wanted to hit on we had another sort of new quarterback in week 12 with sam darnold taking over for baker mayfield and, and pj walker in carolina and 
yeah, again, you can see on this chart, um, he had a good week. He, they weren't forced to throw a ton in Carolina because of that disgusting Denver Broncos offense. They were kind of able to get away with just running the ball a ton. But even so, on a limited sample, uh, Darnold was much better than Baker has been this year. He's better than P.J. Walker has been um, from an efficiency uh, perspective. And we saw D.J. Moore pop up for uh, – a big game. So I guess I'm curious, like it's tough to take too much again from a one game sample, but are you adjusting your priors on, I think DJ Moore is probably the only relevant guy here in Carolina. Are, are you more excited about DJ Moore or are you just seeing this as sort of a, a blip and you know, we're not, we shouldn't be that much more excited about the Carolina pass catchers. Probably somewhere in between. I don't think the word excited is what you could use with the Carolina offense. And yet it still just gives DJ more like slightly more life. I mean, Sam Darnold, uh, the DJ more splits with him at quarterback 15.7 DraftKings points per game. Adam Levitan had this tweet on Twitter and then, you know, his production with Baker Mayfield or PJ Walker in 11 games, 10.6 DraftKings points per game. So we have a decent sample size here of Baker Mayfield or sorry, Sam Darnold looking DJ Moore's way. So the way I always think about these situations is like it raises DJ Moore's floor, I think, which is nice. I don't think the ceiling case is really that different. If anything, I think you could argue that PJ Walker gave him a bit more of a ceiling just because he would uncork some of those deep yeah. throws, but yeah, it, it raises his, his throw. And if you're still alive, in week 13 like you're you're barely excited about starting dj Moore. i know in in some of our teams like we were always debating george pickens versus dj Moore. those kind of start sits maybe you have them uh a garrett wilson or a Traylon burks like i still want to start those guys over dj Moore right now yeah i i think i'm with you there i think it's a it's a slight bump for more I mean, I think, yeah, like you said, I, I think Walker and, and I think I think the big thing is just having Baker out of the picture. I think there's a big enough sample showing that Baker was just devastating to Moore's value. And I'm just happy, I guess, that Darnold played well enough and they got the win that I don't think there's a way that they're going back to, to Baker yeah. in the future. So, yeah, that's that's a positive there. Um, yeah, other thing I wanted to hit on, and again, we can talk about the, the pass catchers here a bit. The big news in the NFL this week is Deshaun Watson coming back in week 13. And you can see Jacoby Brissett here, kind of, you know, a middling quarterback uh, performer thus far this year. I think he's been better than expected. Um, he's sort of kept the Cleveland offense afloat, you know, and Joku and Amari Cooper and even Donovan Peoples Jones have maybe slightly exceeded expectations there in Cleveland uh, relative to their, their preseason ADP. But I think a lot of people are now going to expect a big boost in the pass catchers' values there in Cleveland. Do you have any, you know, gut gut instinct on on that? Do you see a massive upgrade for the Cleveland pass catchers with with Deshaun Watson coming back? Yeah, I don't. I mean. Amari Cooper has been really solid with Brissett. I think the thing that I wonder if it changes is DPJ being used a little bit more as a deep threat. You know, he, he kind of changed how we thought about him with Jacoby, where he was like a 12 point per game guy, just like locked in and he wasn't getting kind of those big plays. And so you can tell yourself a story is, does he get used more as the Will Fuller uh, with Deshaun Watson yeah. here? I think we definitely see more of a, a deep ball game. I'm, I'm having a hard time 
you know, forecasting what we can expect from him this week, obviously a ton of rust. And then you have like the juiciest rushing matchup of all time. And on top of that, the Cleveland Browns identity is still the run game. And so to me, this is like, is this just going to be a game where they just pound it with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and maybe let Deshaun Watson uncork a few play action deep throws? Like, I, I just, I don't know how much we can expect from him in this matchup, even though it does set up really well on paper. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good point. And yeah, I think my thought is, and I don't know, like maybe this is a dumb take, but I, I think that Brissett really hasn't been that bad for the pass catchers. No. Like, I don't know how much more we can expect out of David and Joku. You know, he's been a top five fantasy tight end points per game when he's been healthy. Amari Cooper's been in the top 10. And I think it's been really concentrated towards two, those two guys. And I just wonder if, you know, Watson coming back, maybe things get more spread out. Like you said, maybe DPJ gets gets more involved. Um, yeah, we'll see. Obviously, Watson's like at a ceiling is much more talented than Brissett. But sometimes when these guys come back from these extended absences, it's really hard to predict, you know, how their conditioning has been, where their head is at. Obviously, Watson's, you know, had all that off the field craziness. So, you know, I just think there's, there's more room for for error there, and certainly the upside is better for those guys. But you know, if you have Cooper or Njoku right now, it's not like you necessarily like want to change for those guys. Those guys are already producing at a high level. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you too. I mean, like it, it's also like he just returned to practice. I mean, this is a super long layoff here. So yeah, I would expect some rust. I would expect them easing him in. I'm still super excited about him from like a stash standpoint. I know there's a lot yeah. of teams that were hunting for quarterback upside. I mean, like there wasn't a better upside proposition at quarterback on the waiver wire than Deshaun Watson. And yet I think you still have to temper expectations over the next couple of weeks. Yep. Agreed there. Um, yeah. A couple quick hits and then we can maybe move on. Um, yeah. The Kyle Allen and, and Bryce Perkins early returns on those experiments are looking pretty <laughs> dire. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you can start any any Texans or, or Rams, especially Rams. Rams might even be worse. Um, that looks like a disaster so far. And again, uh, Kenny Pickett still is lagging pretty far behind on this chart. I guess more of like a dynasty take, but I'm starting to get a little bit worried about his long-term success in the NFL. I don't think he's played to a point where the Steelers couldn't replace him in the next year or two if, uh, if a quarterback falls in the draft of them so um just maybe a, a take there for people who have pick it in dynasty i'm starting to get a little a little bit concerned there uh, yeah, yeah. I, i'm so torn about Pickett. i feel like i've been a bit of a kenny pickett apologist and made a decent amount of excuses for him with the schedule and stuff last night i mean he missed just george pickens wide open in the end zone on uh one of those throws that i think that would have helped his day on the other hand if i'm going to continue making excuses like they had a positive game script the whole time and we're having so much success on the ground like it didn't even matter when Najee left benny snell was running well so he hasn't really he hasn't had like the ideal setup to crush and yet he just hasn't fully taken advantage of his opportunities either. Yeah. And I think if you're, if you're going to go with a positive on picket, you see his rushing uh, yards per game pops a little bit in this chart. I think people knew that about him as a prospect, but that part of his game has translated um, to the NFL level. Let me pick it up right here. He's, he's at 25 uh, rushing yards per game which isn't elite but 
it's in the same tier of guys like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Geno Smith, Trevor, like better than Trevor Lawrence, better than Joe Burrow. So from a dynasty perspective, you can be excited about that. Uh, but yeah, the passing is really what's held him back thus far. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see on picket. I'm not completely writing him off, but you know, we'd like to see a few good performances down the stretch, I think, to feel better about him uh, in dynasty going forward. Do you have any takes on, you know, the other one? Uh, I haven't seen an updated injury report on on Aaron Rodgers, but do you have any thoughts on Jordan Love if he is the quarterback this week? Yeah, I so I haven't dug a ton into like the the matchups for this upcoming week yet. What I will say, just just from watching the game, I think Jordan Love. Now now I'm blanking on when his last action was, but I think Jordan Love in his, like his game last week and whatever is most recent game action maybe it was last year um anyways the point i'm trying to make is i think his play on the field has trended up in the limited sample that we've seen him i think when we saw him really early in his career it was like kind of laughably bad and and he was getting completely ripped on out there he looks a lot more competent we saw him connect with christian watson on that on that deep ball um where he looked pretty good and he also adds a bit of of rushing upside so um, they're playing the bears this week. Is that, is that yeah. right? Yeah. They're at the bears. I mean, he was like, when he filled in, so his line, he was six for nine, 113 yards, TD, 146.8 passer rating, obviously small sample size, but considering that the other times we've seen him stepped in, he looked really bad. Um, it's nice to see that it looks like there's some improvement. And like you said, he definitely seems more comfortable, uh, and has some pretty nice weapons here too. He seemed to have a good connection with Christian Watson. Yeah, and back to the Mike White thing, you know, Mike White's blow-up game was against that Chicago defense. We've seen Chicago give up a lot of big games to opposing quarterbacks and pass catchers. So certainly the matchup you want to target um, as a streamer, I think I would put him, if we're, you know, probably the decision you have if you're looking for a quarterback streamer is him versus Mike White. I think that he has, I think he's a better play just because of the, the potential rushing production he can give you. Yeah. I think that, sort of heightens his, his floor ceiling, a combo just a little bit. Um, but I think it's close. I think I would be pretty happy with, with either guy as a streamer this week. Yeah. Both, both Chicago and Minnesota have been really favorable quarterback matchups. So yeah, I, I think you can pick your, your favorite of the two there. Yeah. Cool. So moving on to the running back position, here we're looking at workload in terms of running back expected fantasy points and efficiency. And, you know, compared to the past chart, we're now just filtering uh, to weeks nine through 12. Obviously running back is a position where injuries and coaching decisions change things dramatically. So we want to look at the most recent data. So the last sort of four or five games for some of these players, uh, this chart here shows receiving expected fantasy points per game on the Y axis and rushing expected fantasy points per game on the x-axis and combine that together you get a, a sense of a running backs total workload in terms of expected fantasy points per game also shown on the chart is fantasy points over expected so the larger bubbles you can see here uh like joe mixon uh, that means he's outperforming his expected fantasy point workload versus the, the smaller bubbles means a player that's been a little bit inefficient uh, from an expected fantasy points perspective um but yeah, I think I would anchor more 
on just the the workload and less on the efficiency in such a small sample. But yeah, anyways, Pete, I think a couple interesting things to talk through here. Number one, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Austin Eckler. His receiving fantasy points workload is truly in a tier of his own. He's at 17 expected receiving fantasy points per game. This is via PFF. Uh, the next closest running back is Ramondre at around 12. And then it drops off again there. The next closest would be Christian McCaffrey at around 10. So he's kind of doubling up almost the, the guys um, right behind him in receiving fantasy points workload. And he is kind of close to, to breaking, yeah, breaking fantasy from that perspective. So I, I, I don't know. I just want to highlight that point. I, I had seen some other things this week about how sort of the the specialist receiving fantasy back is kind of almost dead. Like the, you know, JD McKissick, James White yeah. type of years past, like those guys don't really exist anymore, but Austin Eckler is just truly, you know, an outlier from that perspective. Um, yeah. What were you, because one of the narratives heading into last week was that Keenan Allen being back was going to eat into his receiving production. That clearly didn't happen this week. Do you think if they get Mike Williams and everyone back that he doesn't catch as many passes, or do you think he's just kind of locked into this role and he's such an entrenched part of their passing game that it doesn't even matter when they're fully healthy on offense? Yeah, I think, I'm somewhere in the middle. I think it if if all those guys were at full health, I don't think we'd see 17 expected fantasy points per game or whatever it's been uh, during the the stretch where those guys have been injured or playing at less than 100. percent But I still think his role is is very locked in. Um, I, you know, this hasn't just been a small blip. We've seen much earlier in the season him putting up 12, 10 target games. And I think that, you know, just from a more realistic perspective, I don't expect Keenan Allen or Mike Williams to be playing at 100%. You know, we're, we're in week 12 now. Those guys have been pretty banged up. Um, they're not necessarily known for, you know, staying healthy. So I just kind of bet against those guys being at full at full strength. And I think the other thing to, to call out is the secondary or tertiary pass catchers in this offense, um, Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, um, even even Gerald Everett haven't really ever shown an ability to earn targets at a high rate. So even if both Keenan and Mike Williams are back, I still think there's there's room for Eckler to have a pretty big target share in this offense. Yeah, I agree. What do you what's your read on kind of what we're seeing from Josh Jacobs? Obviously, explodes for a massive game, 303 total scrimmage yards, the walk off. Touchdown. He is back on the injury report with this calf strain. It sounds like they're going to really limit him in practice uh, this week. But what did you, what was your big takeaway from the monster Josh Jacobs game? Yeah. Um, man, he's, he's kind of been doing it all, all year, at least from the workload perspective. And he's had a couple other big blow up games. I think my takeaway on, on the Jacobs, thing overall this year is that you know I, I think there's a lot of talk about you know the running back dead zone and why we should avoid running backs in in that range but I think there got to be a point where Jacobs fell to like the seventh eighth even ninth rounds in some drafts where um the dead zone 
like stink got associated with him, even though he had sort of fallen out of that range as it's traditionally defined. And at, at that point, our biases should have sort of um, been able to come off him. And and I, I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm, I'm just trying to find a reason for why I didn't draft uh, more of him, but yeah, I don't know. His role is really strong. I don't, from like the injury perspective, I don't think the calf injury seems like something that's going to limit him um, if he was able to play through it this week. But um, yeah, it, it's just, it's been pretty consistent all season, this this workload for him. And I don't expect it to to go away barring some kind of injury. Yeah, I mean, he. I think he obviously definitely a smash this week against the Chargers if he's active. I would say um, if for some reason Zamir White is available in your league, though, I would definitely pick him up um, because I do think just based on how they've used Josh Jacobs, I think, sure, I think Abdullah would get a little bit more work if Jacobs missed, but I do think Zamir White would probably get 75 to 80% of what Jacobs has been getting. And so that's worth a stash just to see how his you know practice reports materialize but yeah in, in the macro conversation for josh jacobs too i think you know there was the dead zone stuff but like i don't even think that was it because like you said he was falling out of the dead zone he was like in that miles sanders range there for a while i think it was all of the stuff about the team drafting zamir white yeah. the not picking up his fifth year option the hall of fame game usage there was just like a cascading series of events that was like holy cow this guy's on the outs josh mcdaniels doesn't want to touch this guy and so i think we all collectively fell into that but on the other side too like i mentioned miles sanders like I had a bet with someone about, you know, Kenneth Gadewell outscoring uh, Miles Sanders. Luckily, I was on the Miles Sanders one for that one. But it, collectively, we tend to get excited about the younger guy, the sexier guy. Yeah. And Josh Jacobs just was the epitome of the unsexy player that became way, way too cheap in drafts. Yeah, it's almost been kind of two years in a row where this has happened too, right? Like, you, you can sort of say the same thing about... Leonard Fournette and Melvin Gordon um, for, for 2021, where they were sort of the unsexy guys who had a track record of being first round fantasy picks, had disappointed, were older, um, you know, not exactly the same situations. And they obviously didn't smash as big as Jacobs has this year. But yeah, I think it's, I don't know, something I guess I'll try to think of through next year is, you know, once that guy kind of gets the, the dead zone washed, like stink on him, even when that player falls to a part of the draft where he's a pretty good pick, you know, relative to his cost, he's not even in the dead zone anymore. Like I'm going to try to shake off my biases a little bit more. I think it's just easy to sort of get those negative biases on players and then not update when they're, when their cost um, updates down or, you know, um, so I'm going to try to think through that more, more next year, but Jacobs, obviously I think, has been the biggest league winner of anyone in fantasy thus far. I don't know how you can argue for, for someone else at this point, um, unless I'm missing something. Yeah. I mean, cost adjusted. I mean, we, we should talk about Ramondre Stevenson. He was going, yeah. you know, ironically around the same, same plays and drafts as Josh Jacobs was at one point. I think you can make a case for Kenneth Walker as yeah. well based on, but no, I agree. I mean, Kenneth Walker's not putting up 50 burgers right now with his role, but let's talk about, Ramondre, we now have Damian Harris, who is 
uh, week to week, it sounds like. It seems yep. like he could miss at least multiple weeks. I mean, nothing is stopping Ramondre Stevenson. I was stashing Pierre Strong in a few spots. He had a horrible, horrible penalty. He's he's fully in Bill Belichick's doghouse now. I mean, I can't make any cases against Ramondre going forward right now. Yeah, I can't either. I don't think there's any backup running back they trust. Uh, I think J.J. Taylor was released uh, maybe yeah. back on the practice. Roll the clip. Yeah, roll the, roll the clip. Uh, he had that game where he had like 10 carries for negative two yards or whatever it was um, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, it's going to be fully Ramondre season. An- another injury to note there is uh, uh, Jacoby Myers left that game pretty early on Thanksgiving and seems questionable to play this week as well. So I think that could funnel even more looks in the passing game to Ramondre uh, because there's not a whole lot of other pass catchers in this offense that draw a lot of targets. So yeah, I'd have a hard time, you know, ranking Ramondre outside of, you know, top six or so running backs for the week is his role is, is likely to be massive. Um, But yeah, Let's see any other there's a couple other injury situations that we should probably hit on uh, quickly. I guess first in New York. So Michael Carter for the Jets, Michael Carter went down um, with an injury and seems day to day. I think the team quoted it as so I think he's, you know, early in the week, but I think he is truly questionable to play this next week. We see Zonovan White or Zonovan Knight um, pop up here for around 10 expected points. He played pretty clearly ahead of Ty Johnson, particularly on, on early downs in New York and with James Robinson, healthy scratched. I would expect him to be the feature running back in, in New York. So yeah. Any thoughts, Pete, on the New York jets running back situation? Um, Do you think Zonovan Knight is sort of the best uh, waiver wire target? for for this week at running back yeah and i'll admit fully heading into this week i mean zonovan knight was one of those guys i legit had never even heard of and then he forces nine missed tackles uh in this game here and looked really good and in, in general too i think we tend to myself included uh dismiss these guys who we don't have any priors on uh whereas i do think a guy who comes in performs well uh, on a, a season where the waiver wire is incredibly barren at running back. Like, obviously, this guy should be added and taking stabs yeah. on him and just hoping, hey, maybe there's positive, you know, momentum here. Maybe Robinson continues not to play. Michael Carter's out longer than we think. I mean, yeah, uh, anyone who has a pulse in a, in an offense that's turning around, I think, is relevant. And I was pretty impressed by uh, what Zonovan Knight did uh, on Sunday. Yeah, he's also um, absolutely popping in the, the cool name model. He has not just one cool name, but two cool names. Zonovan's his real name, and then his nickname is also Bam. So, um, yeah, that's another data point that we should be really excited about for the rest of the season. But, yeah, I agree with you. Also, Michael Carter was not – you know, I think he had a really impressive rookie season – he has not been that impressive this year to the point where if if Zonovan plays well this next week with Carter out, I'm not sure how locked in Carter is for the starter role. I, I do think it would be a committee once Carter comes back, but I think this is a situation where the the backup has a chance to to take the role, you know, compared to like a P Ryan versus Mixon situation where we know P Ryan, there's no way he's taking the full time role for Mixon no matter how well he plays. I think in this case. 
we can't be super confident that that Carter retains that starting role even when he comes back. Yeah, it, it's also I've just made me think back to just what a wild ride this James Robinson season has been where yeah. early on, you know, people who drafted James Robinson were doing victory laps. They're like, we drafted the Jags RB1 in the 16th, 17th round. You guys were all scared from the injury. Then they trade him. They think you get another new lease on life. And now we're at the point where he's a healthy scratch. Like this James Robinson run out has been super bizarre. Super weird. I, I mean, admittedly, I didn't have any of him, but I was like panicking after the first couple of weeks. I was Me like, too. Yeah, I was like, yeah. why didn't I draft any James Robinson? Why do I have all this Travis Etienne in the third round? After, <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny. Uh, let's let's quickly take a look at the the NFC here. So again, for people following along, following along, same chart here, but now looking at the NFC, um, a couple just like weird things that popped out to me on this chart. Jamal Williams has like one of the weirdest roles (laughs) that I've ever seen in the NFL. Like his expecting expected rushing workload here is the biggest in the NFC at um, over 15 points. And now a lot of that is like goal line carries. He gets a shit ton of goal line carries, obviously leading the league in, in rushing touchdowns. You guys probably know that, but he has almost no receiving role at all. Like it, it almost like, doesn't show up on the chart because he has such a little <laughs> role. So I don't know. This Jamal Williams stuff is like, I don't know. This is like a Jerome Bettis. Like I'm trying to think of a comparison of like what this role is historically. Like it's been a while since I've seen anything quite like this Jamal Williams role in Detroit. It's it's kind of bizarre. I know. It's like, it's one of the classic things where you just want to scream regression and then it just keeps happening week after week. And like the biggest issue for both him and DeAndre Swift is the fact that Justin Jackson is involved. And, you know, once you get into that territory where there's three running backs getting touches, you just worry about the consistency of any of those guys. And yet Jamal Williams fucking falls into the end zone every single week. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you have Jamal Williams, you're you're not sitting him at this point. Now they get a juicy matchup in a game with a total over 50 points against the Jags. And it's like, well, fucking fire up Jamal Williams again. Yep. Yeah. What are you, I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to, you're not going to sit the guy who could go off for two, three touchdowns at, any week it seems and yeah i, I don't know i would th- yeah it, like you said i keep thinking some of these one yard jamal williams touchdowns have to be jared goff passing touchdowns at some point but it it doesn't seem like it's gonna happen uh this season um yeah i think i don't know anything else Pete, here on this on this chart that that jumps out to you otherwise we can look at the we have more running back charts on on snap counts we can take a look at we should talk about we should talk about Christian McCaffrey because yeah. there's definitely been lots of hand wringing about his role since Eli Mitchell came back. Now we have Eli Mitchell out six to eight weeks. Um, Christian McCaffrey dealing with a little knee issue himself, but assuming Christian McCaffrey is good to go, do you think TDP and or Jordan Mason is as big of a thorn in his side as Eli Mitchell was? Or do you think we get some of that first week, second week, Christian McCaffrey in this offense where it was like, holy cow, full blast off mode with his workload? Yeah, that's a good question. I think is, you know, if he was fully healthy, I would be really excited. The fact that he is dealing with this knee soreness, I've heard reporters maybe like a patellar tendon um, soreness issue. I think that they're going to limit him and not go full like Carolina version of Christian McCaffrey. 
that said, I still think his role is is really valuable when he's on the field. You know, he's he's running all the routes when he's on the field. He's still earning a ton of targets. I think that he's gonna get a full grip on the red zone usage. Mitchell was actually stealing a good bit of that. I don't see them going to um, Jordan Mason or TDP there in in the red zone. I, th- I think they really view Mitchell as like a tier above those other running backs, and that's why they're giving him a lot of high value touches in this offense. Um, so yeah, maybe a bit of a lukewarm take. I think that either TDP or Mason or even Tevin Coleman, whoever earns that second role is going to mix in on early downs and McCaffrey's like snaps and carries share maybe won't look as good as we're expecting or, or versus what it was in Carolina. But I think you'll have a pretty firm grip on the, all the targets, all the routes and all the red zone usage. So I'm viewing this, this Mitchell injury is still like a pretty sizable bump for, for McCaffrey. Yeah, I agree with that take. One other one that I feel like is tricky and I'm curious your thoughts on it is what we're seeing in Washington with Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, where it almost seems like they're ping ponging big games, but I don't even think you can just square it away with, Oh, it's like game script dependent. I don't, I don't have a good read on what's going on with their usage. Does anything in the charts point you to, to something with this backfield? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And maybe we can, so here we have the expected points. We have Gibson here in sort of the 10 to 15 expected points range. Robinson also in a very similar range. The difference in the roles is that Robinson is sort of primarily just an early down grinder and Gibson is seeing more of the receiving work. That said, he's not, getting a ton of receiving usage. He's in sort of the five expected fantasy points per game um, from a receiving perspective. I think that's because like Taylor Heineke compared to Wentz or or other quarterbacks hasn't involved um, the running backs in the passing game as much. We've seen like McKissick completely phased out and maybe there there's something there where they don't view the running backs as a big part of this passing game now, but yeah, like you said, I think my overall take is I'd rather have Gibson. Um, the snaps um, still look pretty good for Gibson. He w- was out snapped by by Robinson this week, but it was pretty close. Thirty snaps for Robinson, twenty six for Gibson. That said, uh, Gibson doubled him up in routes run with fourteen to seven, and that's been pretty consistent. Where we've seen pretty even snap shares with, between the two, but with Gibson getting more routes and more targets. So just with that profile, um, I'd prefer to bet on Gibson. He's also shown the ability to to break off uh, long, long plays and in the passing game. So I like his upside a little bit there. But yeah, if you have Robinson, I think, you know, I, I was pretty concerned about Robinson from a talent perspective. He had had a pretty long stretch of like very inefficient games. And we see him pop up here for, over a hundred yards and, and broke off some, from nice, some nice runs. So, um, you know, I think there was, there was maybe a little bit up on him as well, but I'd still, I'd still rather have Gibson. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm in the same boat. Although, uh, once I saw Brian Robinson in that big hat, man, it, it is tough not to like this guy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. I saw this tweet that they're like, the only thing this photo tells us is that Brian Robinson is a really good friend. Like whoever his friend is that is starting this, this hat business um <laughs> like you have to be a good friend to to wear that thing in public it's uh, funny cool um well we spent a lot of time on on running back i do want to show 
these charts, which looks at running back usage from a slightly different angle. Um, here we're looking at snaps and usage in terms of rush attempts and routes. Um, so the way to kind of read this chart is the green is sort of the valuable usage from a running back perspective. That's the percentage of snaps where they're either, either getting the ball handed to them or they're running a route and have a chance to earn a target. Um, so you see on the far left side here, we have the workhorses like Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, and the far right-hand side of this chart, we have sort of the more time-shared running backs and, you know, AJ Dillon, Kyron Williams, Jarek McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon, those type of guys. So it's sort of a way to look at, um, you know, talk about workhorse usage from a snaps perspective. And, and maybe the one situation Pete, I wanted to talk about here is, is Pittsburgh. I think that mm -hmm. injury has gone a little bit under the radar this week. Najee, I think, left the game in the third quarter with an abdominal injury and was kind of in and out before that. Looked like he was struggling with the injury a little bit. Um, he leaves behind a pretty big snap share in Pittsburgh where he had to miss time around about sort of uh, 65, 70% snaps for Najee. So definitely room for a backup here to take on a big role. Do you have any lean, you know, between Jalen Warren, who was also injured, Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland, about who you would kind of want to add, um, you know, next week and going forward. Yeah, I mean, and I do think the the Najee thing is legit in that everything I'm seeing is that a lot of times the typical uh, time missed for an abdomen injury is multiple weeks. So if he gets shelved, I, I still think I would want Jalen Warren above all those guys if he's obviously healthy. It seems like the team had fully committed to him as the backup running back. He was really efficient with his touches early in the season. Uh, Benny Snell has always been kind of a last resort option for the Steelers over his tenure, and that's what he was last night as well. And then Anthony McFarland kind of mixing in and getting some of those um, passing opportunities too. So I think I still prefer Warren, but Benny Snell should probably be added if Warren isn't ready, just because, I mean, you could probably, if you have both Najee and Jalen Warren out, I mean, Benny Snell's probably getting 15 touches uh, yeah. this week. So I think both should uh, be picked up, but Warren's really the guy that has some exciting upside if he gets a start. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd say like, if you're desperate for a spot start this week, I would rather have Snell because I think it's likely Warren misses another week, but if you're looking for a guy to stash for the playoffs, Warren is obviously the guy you want. Yeah, this is a good point here. Um, Tomlin from Historical Anomalies. Tomlin said Warren's hamstring was not serious before ruling him out last week. Um, so yeah, may maybe it's less um, less bad of an injury than than we think. But I don't know. H hamstrings are always a tricky one, and I'm probably betting Warren misses this week, but yeah, we'll have to check the practice reports on that one. That one's kind of tricky. Yeah. And the, I mean, the other reason why this is very relevant is because they're playing the Falcons who have just yeah. been giving up points, uh, both through the ground and through the air. So I think we definitely want to keep tabs on this. Um, you know, Snell's more going to be like, plug your nose, try to get your eight points and get out of there. Whereas like Warren could actually do something exciting with his touches. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, like if it's Benny Snell chalk week in DFS, I'm I'm probably <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll wave that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But for my RB two in a managed league, I could be really excited about a Benny Snell spot start in some some leagues. So, yep. Uh, I think the other another thing that jumps out to me here, 
Pete, I want to touch on quickly is, is Kenneth Walker's role is really strong. And, and maybe this is more of like a dynasty take, you know, there's not much actionable, actionable things you can do with Kenneth Walker at this point. Like no one really probably wants to trade him. If you have him, you're not going to trade him away, but I think there's this perspective still maybe a, a bit from his prospect profile that, you know, he can't do much in the pass catching game. You know, he's losing a ton of work to DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. I always see that talked about, but when you put it in perspective compared to all, all other running backs in the league, he is running a lot of routes and like his role here is top five in terms of rush attempts and routes. We have, you know, we haven't seen him explode in the passing game or anything like that, but I think the fact the team trusts him in that part of the game, you know, he, he might not ever be like a Christian McCaffrey, you know, even Saquon Barkley level receiver, but I think he has proven he can at least be maybe like a Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook level receiver in the league. And that I think adds a ton to his dynasty value. So I'd be really excited about this usage for him um, if I have have Ken Walker in, in dynasty leagues. I think that's the perfect comp too of like thinking about you know what his role is and he's never going to get to Austin Eckler CMC levels but that Dalvin Cook and even Josh Jacobs I think is probably a pretty good comp for him as well and I I do think it's notable to mention that shift because I know initially when he had his breakout post Rashad Penny they were still using DJ Dallas and Travis Homer a decent amount and I even know some people were putting him on sell high lists because they were worried about him and say negative game scripts if he wasn't catching patches and I think we are past that now and you just you have so many outs with Kenneth Walker right like that offense has a lot of red zone trips he's super explosive now he's catching some passes too it's like there's really no reason to ever sit or be worried about Kenneth Walker with this role yeah. And just on the routes thing for this week, he had 27 routes run to just nine for Homer and just six for DJ Dallas. Now, if you just looked at the box score, you'd see that Homer and Dallas each got two targets and Walker just had one. So I think that's a little bit what people are doing. They're doing some box score watching, seeing, ah, he's not getting targets. Homer and Dallas still are. And I, and I get why people think that, but he's kind of lapping them in routes, like doubling both of them up collectively. So I'm not so worried about that that small sample like target discrepancy. I'm I'm more excited about the fact that he's just out there running a ton of routes um, for a running back. For sure. I think this is a, a good macro uh, question from Lou. Lou mentioning, should we be getting all of our handcuffs, at least QBRB in leagues that stop waivers? Of course, you know, FFPC waivers locking here soon. Lou using the example, like if you have Jacobs, is Amir White better than Hasty Warren? Um I'm curious. I'll let you go first, Sam. How how do you think about this idea of who you would prefer, assuming all of these guys were available? Are you handcuffing your guy, or are you trying to bink two starting running backs potentially if an injury occurs? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm going to cop out a little bit and say, like, if you're in tournament formats, I would go for the higher upside strategy of trying to bink the second um handcuff like not your own handcuff but some other running backs handcuff um because you're really trying to maximize your total points and if you're sort of betting that your starting running back gets injured you might not be able to do that anyways but if you're in sort of a traditional managed league um i think it's totally okay at this point just to you know say you have a really stacked team and you have dalvin cook go grab alexander madison you have josh jacobs go grab samir white because in those leagues you don't need the absolute nut ceiling. You probably just need 
like some decent scores throughout the playoffs to win. So I think, I think that's how I'd think about it. And then I would also just consider like not all handcuffs are, are treated equal. I think there's some guys where we can have a lot more confidence in them having a big role or maybe their, their team situation is just really strong. So, you know, for Alexander Madison, for instance, we can feel really confident he's going to have a huge role if Cook goes out. That offense is is firing um, at this point in the season. So I'd much rather have him than, you know, Benny Snell because we're not even sure if he's going to be the guy. The Pittsburgh offense is terrible. So I consider those team-level factors as well as how confident we are in the handcuff. Is he actually going to get that role if the starter goes out? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like you said, you know, Lou mentioning, you know, Jamichael Hasty. I'm pretty excited about Jamichael Hasty as a handcuff because he's shown one, they use him in the passing game, and two, he's been very explosive with his touches. He's ha- had multiple, I want to say, touchdowns over 40 plus yards. Whereas like Benny Snell, he's going to be more the grinder. They're mixing in Anthony McFarland. So like knowing what you're getting, you know, just the names that Lou mentioned, I think I'd, I'd put Zamir White first just because I think they would give him pretty close to the full Josh Jacobs role, then Jamichael Hasty after that, and then Benny Snell. So I think in general, I just want to power rank, like who is the guy who could have a path to a true bell cow role, or at least 80, 90% of that, and then go from there. Um, I'm like you, I always want to prioritize trying to get a second, you know, uh, yeah. starting running back on my roster as far as, uh, as opposed to kind of protecting my existing investment. I will say again, as now I'm not talking in circles here, like with the Josh Jacobs uncertainty with his health, like Zamir White is just objectively a good pickup, regardless of whether you have him or not. So ideally I'd be trying to get both of those guys on, but I don't think, I don't think it's bad to go hard after Zamir White just because you have Josh Jacobs. No, I don't, I don't think it's, it's bad either. And, you know, oftentimes in these really deep leagues, like, there's not a ton of options out there and I am not like so anti handcuffing to the point that I, I wouldn't make a bid for Zamir White if, just because I have Jacobs. Like I think there's definitely some universes where Jacobs misses a week. You have both and like you can still place really well in the main event or whatever. It's it's certainly not impossible. Um, yeah, Matt, Matt Sox r- referencing Darrell Henderson. Um, I guess I should say I'm not that worried about Darrell Henderson as someone who started Darrell Henderson uh, across the board uh, in a lot of leagues this year. I don't really think he has much left in the tank. To me, Darrell Henderson is more saying, hey, we don't feel comfortable with what we're getting from Snoop Connor right now is kind of what I read that as. Um, but I guess you could say that that muddies the water a little bit with the handcuff situation. Yeah, I'm also not worried. I mean, we've seen guys signed off. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes we've seen guys signed off the street and they're immediately on the active roster. Like the fact that Darrell Henderson was a healthy scratch, um, I think is somewhat bearish for him. But yeah, I, I agree. I'm, he was really bad this year. Um, the Rams just straight up cut him. You know, I think Casey played well enough where I'm not worried. I think he could definitely take the Snoop Connor like third in the pecking order position, but. I don't have a lot of confidence in him moving his way up the the depth chart. Yeah. Cool. Um, we'll skip the the gross backup <laughs> running back chart here and jump into the wide receivers uh, for this week. I think a couple interesting situations to discuss. Certainly not as many as at running back. There's just clearly not as much in flux, not as much contingent value. Um, a couple of things I do want to hit on though, 
Chicago, Darnell Mooney is now out for the season um, with an ankle injury, I believe. You know, the Chicago pa passing offense had not been producing a ton from a fantasy perspective, but things had been trending up uh, with fields in the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we saw Cole Komet go off for some big games. We even saw Mooney make some deep plays down the field. So I guess my question for you, Pete, are you, I think Claypool is like the one potentially interesting guy here. Are you like, how are you thinking about Claypool the rest of the way in Chicago um, with Mooney now out for the year? Do you think there's a chance he becomes sort of a target hog, albeit in, you know, a low, a low volume passing offense? Yeah, this one's tough. I mean, first of all, all of this conversation is moot if Justin Fields isn't playing, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah, if, yeah. if this injury lingers or if he's not back to full health, then it's just like we want no piece of this offense. But yeah, I, I guess I would just, I think I'm being more cautious with it in that I would think of him as like a slightly plus version of Mooney, maybe Mooney with more targets where it's still going to be few and far yeah. between. I mean, maybe would this be another good comp? Like you think of him like Drake London in the Falcons offense where it's like, yeah, we like his profile. We like his talent, but this team still isn't going to throw enough for him to be consistent on a week to week basis. But then you watch him, you know, pull this insane catch down on sauce Gardner, And it's hard not to get excited about him, but man, it's just with this offense. I just, yeah. there's no consistency. There's no baseline level of targets that you can expect for him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the, the floor is going to be super low. I do think like ugh, compared to London, like I'd rather have Claypool than London at this point. I think he's maybe in sort of the DJ more range for me, just because I think they're, there is some ceiling there. We saw some massive 20 plus games from Cole Komet. Um, I think if Fields is back, the, the pass catching could condense on this offense around either Claypool or Komet in a given week. Um, and I guess another thing to note with Claypool, he had been really behind in routes. I think he was like fifth in routes the week before on Chicago, and he jumped all the way up to first in routes run on that team and ran 21 of 28 routes saw five targets that was the most of any wide receiver um on on the team this past week so at least we can feel confident i think that he's going to lead the team in in routes it may not be like 95 percent routes run but it should be pretty high um so yeah I, I think there's upside there but yeah the floor is like scary low um i i think we can't even be that sure like what claypool is at, at a talent as a talent at this point you know, it's been kind of up and down there. So uh, I'm optimistic for some upside, but I'm not like going to rely on him as a reliable week in week out starter. The other, the other thing I'll just mention for the bears too. Um, not only do they have a buy coming up, uh, they play the Packers this week, then they have a buy, then they play the Eagles and the bills. So it's like, it's a pretty rough stretch um, as far as like what kind of production you can expect. Obviously at least the time should allow fields to get healthy, but it's a rocky road there for the bears. Yeah, that that's for sure. Um, okay. And then another thing, I don't think, I don't know a lot of like Connor and I talk through these charts every week. I think, stuff has kind of stabilized a lot of names you'd expect in the top right corner there. But one, I think one interesting one to discuss is the Arizona receiver core with Marquise Brown coming back last week. We had really seen Hopkins be sort of an elite target hog 
with Brown out of the lineup. And likewise, we had sort of seen Marquise Brown be close to an elite target hog with, with Hopkins out of the lineup. How do you, we now have sort of one week of data with them both playing, I guess, like who, who would you, who would you prefer the rest of the way between Hopkins and Marquise Brown? And do you think, you know, are they both back end wide receiver ones? Are they more back end wide receiver twos? Like, how are you sort of thinking about these guys going forward? Yeah, this this one's tough. I mean, first of all, we have classic Cliff Kingsbury saying that Marquise Brown's going to be on a pitch count in his first game back and then him <laughs> basically playing every single snap. Um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, part of why we've been excited about him for fantasy is because he just has this insane target share. And with Marquise Brown coming back, and this was a game that didn't have Greg Dorch or Rondell Moore playing and Rondell Moore had been, you know, hoovering up, you know, eight to nine targets himself. And so I will say, I think I'm most worried about Deandre Hopkins, honestly, just knowing, can he maintain this? What, what did he have like a 30 plus percent target share for that stretch? Yeah. Um, when these guys come back and I think the hope is for Marquise Brown. And at least this was always the thesis all along of like, yeah, he's not going to get as many targets, but you should hopefully offset that with increased efficiency, maybe a higher a dot, some shots down the field with these other guys soaking up attention. So I think I'm less worried about Marquise Brown and just worried. Does Deandre Hopkins, you know, have such a big chunk taken out of his target share? Yeah, I think that is the player. I'm most worried about as well. And yeah, that, that, um, just looking at his targets, you know, his, his targets the past six weeks since he's been back 14, 13, then he had sort of anomaly down to five and it started to be back then 14, 12, and then five. So, you know, these games where he had 12, he had four out of his six games this year, he's had 12 plus targets. I don't think we're going to see that going forward now with Marquise Brown back. And and like you said, if Dorch or Rondell Moore is in there, especially Moore, I think they're going to draw some targets um, more than sort of the AJ Green, Robbie Anderson guys are able to. So yeah, I'm slightly concerned for Hopkins. I was sort of touting him as like a top five, top six wide receiver, um, given what he did before Brown got back. But I'm, I'm certainly backing off of that um considerably um now but in yeah. this this offense just all year has not shown a ceiling where you're like oh this could support you know two to three guys um in in big game scenarios the only thing that you can hang your hat on with the cardinals is they do have one of the best playoff schedules as far as they get the broncos then they're at home versus the bucks and then they play the falcons so three um pretty nice games there as far yeah. as the cardinal schedule but yeah i just i have so little faith in cliff and in this offense to really give us ceiling performances if it's not just volume driven yeah so yeah maybe some actual advice if you have hopkins i'd maybe see like can you trade him for cd lamb can you trade him for dk metcalf plus can you trade him for aj brown like i would maybe be targeting some of those guys because people will see Hopkins 20 fantasy points per game and be like, wow, like that's a steal. Um, I think maybe that's, that's some moves you could try to make with Hopkins in your leagues where you can still trade. Um, cool. Let's, let's move on here um, to the next wide receiver chart. Uh, I didn't have a ton, a ton here again, sort of stable from what we've seen from past weeks. I will call out that 
that Garrett Wilson, um, look, he's, he's earning a pretty sizable role at sort of 55 weighted targets per route run. That's in the same range of guys like Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, T Higgins. And I just expect like the overall volume bump uh, with, with Mike White coming in to, to be really strong for Wilson. But we've already talked through that a bit. I think another sort of quick note on these guys, Michael Gallup seemed to clearly regain the wide receiver two role in Dallas last week. That, that was notable. He had been running behind Noah Brown. He still hasn't really put up, uh, you know, a big signature fantasy point performance, but I do think it's coming for Gallup. So I think he's sort of a strong DFS play in the right matchups going forward, uh, just given the, the routes he's running now. But yeah, Pete, any, any thoughts here on some of these, um, these are wide receivers in the 70 to 85% routes run territory. Any thoughts on some of these, these guys here? Yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on the chiefs wide receivers. We have Juju who didn't necessarily play the full complement of snaps. It sounds like that was partially driven by the fact that he was returning from concussion. We saw obviously Justin Watson, Sky Moore mixing in there, Kadarius Tony out. Obviously this is, a riddle we want to crack because there's so much opportunity in the chiefs offense, but how are you thinking about Juju and some of these ancillary pieces? Yeah, that that's a good question. Sort of how I've thought about Juju all year. And let's, let's assume now, I think he will go back to, to his full role um, next week. I kind of assume this was just a one week ramping up period coming off the concussion. I expect him to go back to the sort of uh, 80%-ish routes, you know, 75%-ish routes territory that he had been at so far this year. But yeah, kind of how I've been viewing Juju this year is he has like the this very middling role, but it's in the Chiefs offense and that makes him a lot more valuable than he would be otherwise. Like if you look at all the rate stats, he's not going to pop in weighted targets per route run. Um, he's not going to pop in that sort of metric but the Chiefs are just running a ton of plays he's attached to Patrick Mahomes it's kind of like similar to how I view Gabe Davis almost where like I don't think at this point in their career career either of them are super talented players but just because of the offenses they're tied to um, they still have pretty big ceilings obviously in different ways you know Gabe Davis is more of a ceiling from a deep play perspective and Juju probably the ceiling is catching a bunch of passes underneath and maybe taking one um, along, you know, uh, yards after the catch play or something. But anyways, th that's kind of how I'm thinking about Juju. I do uh, like expect him to have the most value in the chiefs wide receiver room going forward. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's still like sort of a, a middling middling role. <laughs> yeah. One other situation that's kind of interesting is we were starting to see a little bit a little bit of a battle between Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks for the wide receiver one role in Houston. You know, Kyle Allen taking over kind of throws a wrench in whatever continuity we had there. But is it safe to say Nico has usurped Brandon Cooks? Or are you not willing to go that far yet? I think, yeah. Uh, can the right answer be like, I just don't care because they're on the Texans? Or <laughs> I, I think those DFS bros need to run these Texans <laughs> in our bring back, Sam. Yeah, I think if I was if I was going to um play a Texans wide receiver, it would be Nico at this point, just from a snaps perspective. Uh, he has 
I think been consistently out out snapping Brandon Cooks and running more routes than him the past couple of weeks. They're using a bit of a weird rotation now with Chris Moore and Dorsett getting getting more and more involved, and that seems to be at the expense more so of Cooks than than Nico Collins. But yeah, I mean, my real answer would probably be like whatever one is going to be owned less. If you can predict that, I would just go with <laughs> go with that one. I know in DFS this year it hasn't been as easy as uh, just looking at the ownership projections and and going off that, but. Um, yeah, that, that's one where I'd sort of flip a coin and, and fade the field. One more for you here on this one. You know, Chris Godwin has a massive game last week. Yeah. Mike Evans continues to be so close to some big deep ball catches. They just don't quite get there. Um, how are you thinking about Chris Godwin going forward? Do you think we can expect this level of volume? Um, where are you at kind of with the Buccaneers passing offense? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about Godwin. I think if you drafted Godwin, this was always sort of the thesis of the play in that he would start the season a little bit slow. You know, most guys coming off ACL tears do that. And then down the stretch would start to feel more confident in that knee, get more playing time and and really have some big games sort of return to his form uh, from the past couple of years. And I think we're on on track for that with Godwin. Um, I don't have a strong take between, you know, him versus Evans for the rest of the season, but I would now put them like right back to back in whatever rankings you have. I think they they profile pretty similar from sort of a target earning perspective. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm still excited about the Bucks. I mean, this is more of like a film grinder take, but when I watch them, it doesn't look like anything's like wrong with Brady. He, he seems to be like, overthrowing some guys deep more than he traditionally would, but it doesn't look like his arm strength is gone or anything like that. Like I think we could still see a Bucks offensive explosion at some point this year. Um, so I, I'd be pretty excited about Godwin going down the stretch. Yeah, I agree. Another team that also just has a really beautiful uh, yeah. playoff schedule home versus the Bengals. Then they on the road against Arizona and then home versus the Panthers in week 17. Yeah. I want to shout out to Chris. Uh wow. appreciate appreciate Chris that. Making it rain. <laughs> yeah. yeah even Venmo you, uh Venmo you, Sam. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's big money uh for for Statuation. We appreciate that, Chris. Even though you're slandering uh my guy Mariota in the chat, I'll still <laughs> uh flash up that comment. Um yeah, last wide receiver thing I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, this, these are now, we're now showing the guys with 40 to 70% of routes run, um, you're more rotational guys. The one interesting guy here, obviously, well, there's a couple, but the one I want to talk about Christian Watson, um, if you look at his weighted targets per route run again, that's targets per route run, but adjusted for depth of target. Christian Watson has a pretty elite, um, weighted targets per route run. He's close to the 70% range. That's close to guys like DeAndre Hopkins, um, higher than Justin Jefferson. Um, it's really a pretty impressive mark if you you put him in the context of the other top wide receivers in the league. And now we are seeing, you know, here he's shown at 40 to 50% routes run because this is average across the whole year. But he is running almost a full slate of routes now. 
in in Green Bay. I think he led the team in routes run this past week. Um, or no, he was second Alan Lazard, but 25 of 28 routes run. I believe he led the team in routes run the week before. So yeah, curious, Pete, is is Christian Watson, you know, is he like an every week wide receiver too now going forward? Or are you still sort of hesitant to, to fire him up? Well, I was going to turn this back on you, and I think it will allow you to know where I'm kind of valuing him at. But let me – these three wide receivers, how would you rank them for who you would want rest of season? Christian Watson, Gabe Davis, Devonta Smith. Oof. Oh, that's tough. Um, I would, you know, with sort of off the cuff, I think I would go Devonta Smith. Christian Watson, then Gabe Davis. Um, I think just like, obviously the volume in Buffalo is going to be strong, but Gabe Davis just can't earn targets. Like if you go to that last chart uh, or the first chart, we have Gabe Davis like at 40% targets per route run. He's like way over on the left side of the chart. Um, Christian Watson, just when he's on the field, is earning a lot more targets than Gabe Davis is. He's now earning a full uh, route tree in uh, in Green Bay. I think I'd still go Smith over both those guys because I feel more confident in the overall offense in, in Philadelphia than I do in Green Bay. You know, we have the Rodgers injury, and I feel just like a little bit better about the talent in Devonta uh, just because we have a bigger sample size with him. But, yeah, I think it's pretty close. Would how, how I, So I would go Devonta, Watson, Gabe. How do you shake out there, Pete? I, I think I'm the exact same and it, yeah. it more is just how impressed I've been by Christian Watson and, and Watson has way less target competition than yeah. Gabe Davis. And like, I still think, and I think everyone would agree that Gabe Davis having a 40 point game down the stretch is still well within his range of outcomes, but he's probably going to have, you know, a bunch of five point games littered there. And I think also seeing them, really utilize Isaiah McKenzie on Thanksgiving was another kind of wrench in the Gabe Davis thesis as far as kind of what his target floor is and just how they were using McKenzie. And it wasn't just even like, you know, really close to the line of scrimmage stuff. Like they were getting Isaiah McKenzie yeah. the ball deeper down the field too. So I'm a little worried about Gabe Davis. He still has the upside, but yeah, if I'm starting a guy week in and week out, I think you have to prefer Watson to him now. Yeah. Like how, how I would almost think about Gabe Davis is like, it's kind of like a juiced up version of the old MVS role in green Bay. Like, obviously I think there's more ceiling in Gabe Davis and he's like a little bit of a better talent than MVS, but like he's just running, he's running all the routes, but it's a lot of like clear out routes. And he just like gets targeted at such a low rate because he's such a high ADOT player. Um, so yeah, it, it obviously can be a big ceiling. Like we've seen that. I'm not going to doubt the ceiling with Gabe Davis, but I think we've, you know, Christian Watson in his three games where he's played a full set of routes has been over 20 PPR points in all three games. Like I feel pretty, and one of the games was like 35 points. So I feel pretty good about the ceiling and with Watson as well. And I think he just has a much higher floor than, than Davis does. So um, yeah, but that's, that's an interesting one uh, to talk through. Let's uh, jump now, unless you have thoughts on uh, Trent Sherfield or um, Richie James. Let's uh, let's jump to the tight ends uh, quickly to close out before we we rip a draft. Uh, I think a couple like 
quick hits I have here looking at this chart. We're now looking at uh, route percentage for tight ends. Um, so percent of their team dropbacks where they're running a route. A couple just quick hits I had. Number one, like I think there's been some concern about the Mark Andrews stuff, but his role has still been really strong upon his return. And even though like we haven't seen those ceiling games we saw early in the year, I think he still has upside. He dropped a touchdown pass, you know, this past week. Um, you know, that could have been a bigger game if he had just caught that. So I'm not like concerned about him. Uh, other other quick notes, Trey McBride and Foster Moreau are kind of similar in that they're both kind of running all the routes for their team, but they can't earn targets. So that's the type of guy that I think about as like um, – Maybe maybe more so McBride because he's a little more under the radar. Like I think he's a good DFS dart. I think you know he he's had two games where he's run all the routes and done absolutely nothing. So he's going to leave a gross taste in a lot of people's mouths based on what he's done. But just the fact that he's out there all the time, he has um, some upside, uh, even if he hasn't really shown that thus far. Uh, but yeah, other than that kind of a lot of what we'd expect at tight end um did you have any any other thoughts here here pete at tight end yeah it's interesting the mcbride and moreau stuff because i mean I, i've definitely been burned by mcbride over these past couple of weeks and i'm starting to wonder at what point is it a massive red flag that he isn't earning any targets because even though moreau hasn't been setting the world on fire he has been earning a couple red zone targets you know yeah. he had some near misses a couple of weeks ago finally gets in the end zone there where I, I'm just so down on Cliff and this Cardinals offense. And now Trey McBride's not earning targets when both Greg Dortch and Rondell Moore are out. And you're like, if this guy's not going to get, you know, four to five targets over the middle when these guys are out and Zach Ertz is on IR, like when the fuck is it going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel similar. And like, I think from like a dynasty perspective, like I'm pretty concerned about how bad McBride has been, but just from a weekly perspective, like we saw this a bit with like Komet for the first six weeks of the year before he had those blow up games with Fields where he was just running all the routes, earning no targets, like just doing absolutely nothing for you. And then all of a sudden when the offense turns around, he has, you know, two touchdown, 80 yard game, whatever it was, and, you know, probably wins you some money in DFS. So my thought at tight end is just like, Sometimes just plug your nose and play the guy that's earning all the routes, even if his target rate is really disgusting because the field is probably like overreacting to, to how bad um, he's been. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my thought there um, with McBride, but yeah, I, I see your point. It's certainly concerning when, you know, it seems like all the factors with Moore and uh, Dorch being out would lead him to getting targets and he doesn't even perform then. So it's, it's definitely been disappointing with them. Of all of these guys kind of on the right side of the chart who are kind of your tight end two streamers, you know, anyone this year has either cycled through these guys on season long leagues, have punted it off with them in DFS. Um, you know, basically the Logan Thomas, the Cade Otten, the Jawan Johnson, Austin Hooper, like is anyone have a pulse here or are these all just going to be super low floor dart throws week to week? Yeah, that's so I think if I'm looking at that list now, Hunter Henry jumps out a little bit to me just in that 
Um, Jacoby Myers, I think, will miss the game. So I think that that raises Henry's floor and ceiling. You know, last year he was a guy who had a bunch of multi-touchdown games. Um, I think like that could still happen this year. So I think he'd be the guy I'd pick. Um, I do want to point out Juwan Johnson, I think, has been canceled. Um, actually, Troutman out snapped him and ran more routes than him this past week. So, um, you know, whatever, like the usability with Juwan Johnson, I think, is gone, even though he shows up at this chart here. Um, okay, so he, did, he didn't get, he was out snapped by Troutman. Troutman and Taysom Hill ran 14 and 15 routes and Juwan ran 19. So he was running like just over 50% of his team's routes, which is not, not very good there for him. So yeah, I don't know. Back to your original question. Tyler Higby is like an offensive lineman now. (laughs) Um, I think like Hunter Henry out of, out of that list of names is the guy I'm most excited about. Um, there uh the other thing i do want to point out quickly david and joku there was some concern in his first week back that he had kind of a limited role he was pretty like last week he was back to you know close to his full-time role so i think you can fire up in joku with with confidence now especially with the sean coming back um but yeah that's i think anything oh, yeah, else we- yeah, we yeah. should talk about this. Jelani Woods having oh, yeah. a massive game last night. I know all of our tight end premium bros are interested in him, and basically anyone who has a pulse at tight end is relevant. Yeah, what what's your take on Jelani's big game? Yeah, I would I would like closely monitor with Jelani. I would closely monitor the Kylan Granson injury news. I think like that really allowed him uh, to to run more routes than uh he normally would have but yeah he had 27 routes on 39 matt ryan dropbacks mo alley cox only had 11 so almost sort of tripling him up in in routes um i think that's a really good sign for jelani and his prospect profile if i remember correctly was you know he's basically a freak athlete i want to say he has a basketball background but kind of more of like a wide receiver pass catching tight end than than a blocker so I think someone you can be a little bit excited about in dynasty and with the Colts season, you know, kind of going down the drain. I don't see why they wouldn't see what they have in this guy um, going down the stretch. So yeah, certainly someone like if he's on waivers um, and you're, you're desperate for tight end points, I think you can spend a decent bit of fab on him, but I'd just be careful starting him, you know, when Kylan Granson is back. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we you just don't see it in the same way we sometimes see with wide receivers and running backs where it's like these guys pop up for a big game and then there's positive, you know, inertia and their role grows. It's like you could have Jawan Johnson, you know, score a touchdown in four or five games and then get cucked by Adam Troutman. Like that yeah. just happens <laughs> at tight end in a way it doesn't seem to happen at other positions. Yeah, and, and like with the Colts, I, I the Mo Cox stuff comes to mind where he's always been a guy that – his peripherals have looked really good. He's got a high target rate. Um, I've wanted to chase that for a while, and it, it just hasn't um, hasn't seemed to work out for him. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, cautiously optimistic on Jelani, but not someone I'm um, overly excited about. Cool. Well, I think that's all I had 
at tight end, not any other injuries or anything I can think of for this week. So um, does it make sense to get an underdog underdog yeah. draft? Let's right. get let's get a draft. Do you want me to pull it up or do you want to pull it up? Um, yeah, you can pull it up if if you want. You're probably a little more um, nimble and getting the picks in. Do you want to? How about we do a goal line stand so we get a a 12, 12 person draft instead of the quick six hitters? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, who wants to hop in a goal line stand with us here for week 12? No current playoff uh, drafts live. That first one filled. I imagine within the next week we'll probably get uh, another playoff draft up, but but not now. Yeah, I'm excited for when those come back. I've been sort of digging into the, the data a bit there, so definitely going to do some stat chasing focus shows on the playoff tournaments once they come out. Um, so... We'll see. Okay. Draw the four spot here. Let's see. Yeah. So this is, this is a fun week. Um, this is one of the first weeks in DFS when I've looked across the slate and seen multiple games with a total over 50, like that just has not happened uh, mm-hmm. a lot uh, this year. So you have the uh, Jacksonville Detroit game, 51 and a half total. You have uh, the KC Cincinnati game, 52 and a half. And then you have chargers, uh, Raiders 50.5. So mm-hmm. we actually have some, some decent games this week. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the, the Detroit Jacksonville one jumped out to me. That's a, I don't know. When I just think of those two teams, I don't immediately think of like a shootout, but it makes sense with their defenses and both those offenses have, have been playing better recently. So that could be sort of a sneakier, a sneakier one um, that goes under the radar a bit. So basic strategy here, Pete, I haven't done a ton of these, but, like how I sort of thought about them is you want to stack up a game and then with your last couple of picks go like a bit off of the ADP radar to get more unique. Is, is that how you've been thinking about them? Like any other strategy things? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the one thing versus the battle Royales is it is a little harder, like in battle Royales, because there's only six teams, it's a little easier to kind of dial up your stacks. Whereas with the 12 team or like, you can just legit get sniped. Like you might think yeah. you're setting something up. So you have to be a little careful with that. Um, you know, one thing in general with, or let's, let's have this conversation yeah. here. I mean, for me, it's, it's probably Jefferson or, or Tyreek. Do you have a lean on those two guys? Um, I would go, I think I would go Jefferson here. Um, I think it'll be easier to get the game stack with the jets. Um, that was sort of the tiebreaker I was thinking through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one thing too, and like, this has been playing out in DFS and battle Royales, like I'm still pro stacking. I'm just like not forcing bringbacks. Um, okay. if I, if I don't need to, and this is definitely colored by <laughs> looking at Osimo winning, uh, all these tournaments with, uh, Raiders onslaughts and not a single chargers bring back. But I do think myself in general in the field is, is probably mini correlating and bring backing more where I actually think the, it, we always talk about getting less things right. And it's like, yeah. When you when you do a mini correlation or a bring back, you're actually trying to get two things right. Whereas when you're just betting on one offense, you're actually just just getting one thing right. And yet I still will be like, all right, Garrett Wilson's available, man. We should take Garrett Wilson here. So like <laughs> uh I'm never reaching for those guys, but that is one thing I'm trying to check myself on more than I did uh previously. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I think with like DFS versus drafting is different too, where like if you want to bring back and you're playing DFS, you always can, right? Because you pick your lineup. Whereas with yeah. drafting, like there can be players in the field that want to do bring backs and they just can't because of how the draft shakes out. So I wonder if it's like still slightly better in drafting formats versus DFS formats. That's just me postulating though. Like it, it, I, I don't know if that's true at all. Well, I mean, you can kind of do some comparables where it's like, all right, like if you're reaching for, you know, say Garrett Wilson, you're probably sacrificing some projected points. Same thing in DFS. Like if you're jamming a bring back in and you're passing over a guy who's multiple guys who are better points per dollar plays, that might be bad. But like as the tiebreaker, if you're not sacrificing points, like that correlation is worth something and should be the tiebreaker. Yeah. No, and I would sense. say it's it's more. I think the other thing that then really starts to warp your brain, and maybe the Badge Bros guys could could weigh in on this, is that it's probably less bad in this format where there's you know twelve teams, whereas in the six teamers, it's so easy. Like if you draft Justin Jefferson, you can get Garrett Wilson in basically every draft if you want. Yeah. And knowing that that the combinatorial ownership, take a drink, of Jefferson and Garrett Wilson is going to be pretty high in that format almost makes you want to avoid it for uniqueness purposes. Whereas in this, maybe it's a little less unique. Maybe people are staying out of their way a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fascinating thing with these tournaments is like, like we, it's so hard. We don't have the data on what the field is actually doing. Like we know that if the field was randomly picking players and not thinking about bringbacks and bringbacks would be beneficial, but it can obviously get to a point where that's overbaked into the the price and the combinations where you actually, you know, the uniqueness perspective of not having the bring back is actually more beneficial. Like I, I, I would lean that we're not there yet. And that it's still a benefit of going for the bring back, especially when you're not reaching for it. But um, yeah, there, like you said, the six teamers, like where it's so easy to stack them up, there could be, uh, some game theory there where you might not want to force it. Um, so we still have looking at like cousins ADP. We still have a lot. We can still wait on that quite a bit. Don't need to force yeah. that. Um, so we've had two quarterbacks go, which means we have 10 more still to go. So you will be in the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like someone's going to be in the Kirk Cousins, Kenny, but like, if we want to wait on Kirk Cousins, like we're going to be able to get Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Um, so we're looking here. I mean, we, we were both talking about Kenneth Walker earlier to me. He looks like the, the best yeah. play here. Is there, is there anyone else you would, you'd throw out? Um, I, I think Walker is the play. Yeah, with Etienne and Mixon both like potentially injured, I think that there's going to be a pretty big tear break at running back after him. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, the, the role for Walker is really good. The Rams are abysmal. This could be a game where Seattle can run the ball a million times. Like you almost hope it's like not too big of a blowout that they pull Walker. Like that's almost my my bigger concern for a game versus the Rams these days. Um, yeah, and I know there was I, – I just know from DFS last week that some people were talking about the Rams being a bit of a pass funnel, that their run defense is uh, is better, but I just don't know if that shit matters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. With uh, someone with talent like – oh, this is interesting. Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, Nez says top three lineups in the 16 Battle Royale last week had stacks. Ultimately, it was Jacobs that was all that mattered, but the skinny stacks still seem to be the meta, um, which definitely which definitely makes sense um, when you only have six spots. You know, the overstacking on DraftKings when you have nine spots versus six, it definitely changes the calculus. Yeah. Another question for this format. Oh, losing uh, is Aaron Donald out? I'm so out yeah. of the loop on defensive. He is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The wow. So yeah, I'd imagine that affects things in a pretty meaningful way in this format. Like, I thought I saw something where say like say you draft Nixon and then he's ruled out. Can you like sub someone in? Is that yep. like a okay? Got it. You set um, you set your personal rankings. Um, and so like say we drafted this and we drafted Mixon and we wanted to put P Ryan at the top of our rankings or whatever other back it just obviously has to be a back that wasn't drafted but if we set our rankings um then you're able to sub them in so there is definitely some merit to taking swings like josh jacobs this week would be a good one right where it's like if he plays he's a smash if not what's the opportunity cost you could plug in zamir white you could plug in another running back who's going to be available um we're, now we're back to our our correlation talk. TJ Hawkinson with a Kirk double, Garrett Wilson with a bring back. Uh, anything else you like? Uh, I think I would go Wilson here. Um, I think like I'm hesitant to overstack with like Hawkinson and Jefferson. I think like we can get away with just one of them. Um, but yeah, I think it's a bit of a toss-up. Would you have gone with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, maybe you we could have told ourselves a story of if CMC's limited and out that Debo is actually a pretty sick value in the third. Yeah. Um that's true. but I, I don't mind it. The other thing, I, I guess this would have been the same for Debo, but like if we do happen to get sniped on Kirk for some reason, we now have a Mike White out as well as another stacking partner, which I think is is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's in play. I mean, he, he's shown a ceiling in two out of his four games in the NFL. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's not horrible if we end up with, with Mike white. Um, yeah. But we also like, I think here we don't necessarily need to force one of those quarterbacks, right? Like if a, if no. a quarterback, like, I don't know who can make it back to us, but like maybe Lamar Watson, uh, someone like that who has a bit more like rushing upside makes it back to us. I would almost be inclined to to go there. I do see both Cleveland pass catchers are gone, so maybe the Watson stuff's a little less interesting. Um, yeah, we th- we definitely still have options, I think, and that's kind of the luxury of having two of the fringe quarterbacks as yeah. our stack partners who who aren't going to get drafted otherwise. But if we get an extreme value, but then you do kind of want to think through would you kind of backdoor stack them or would you, would you run a guy like Lamar naked or would you be, would you feel obligated to toss in a a Duvernay or Demarcus Robinson there? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Another another thing like uh, not having a ton of these, I'm still getting the feel for it. Like how much do you think about positional scarcity? I guess like particularly in regards to tight end. Like I wonder if like, we maybe fucked up a little bit and not going elite tight end. Cause it seems like wide receiver gets really flat for a while. Whereas like once Mark Andrews is off the board, 
um, like, or, you know, even some of these next guys, like tight end kind of falls off a cliff pretty quickly. So I don't know. Are you, are you more inclined to like lock up an elite tight end in these formats, knowing that you can find like a late round wide receiver with, with upside and maybe a way that you can't find like a super late ride tight end with a late round tight end with upside. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just think that the lens or, or I don't know what the word I'm looking for of what we define as elite tight end has just narrowed so much that yeah. it's Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. And so I, I think taking Mark Andrews over Justin Jefferson is probably a little too rich. But yeah. in general, I agree. Like I think Mark Andrews at pick 15 here is a screaming steal. I think like efficiently, he probably should be like seven or eight. Like give me Mark Andrews over Patrick Mahomes, like for sure. Um, just thinking about the way yeah. he could separate. And this is all just colored by recency bias in him. You know, like you said, if Mark Andrews catches that touchdown last week, he's literally going one, five, one, six. Like we're talking about one drop in his ADP is much higher. So I, I'm with you positionally. I think Mark Andrews is, is way too discounted this week. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely stood out to me. Um, okay, cool. Let's see. What are we? Another guy that we talked about at the top of the queue here. Um, yeah. The <laughs> another one did. Yeah, Christian Kirk already went. I did see Trevor Lawrence here versus Detroit is obviously interesting, but I don't think we necessarily have to force that. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, let's see here. So this um, guy might go. Okay, I was, yeah. I don't think this guy will take a quarterback. So what do you think about fields here? Like, I mean, j just with the, the logic of we could probably sub him out for Mike White if he doesn't play. Um yeah, I, I I will also say, yeah, Watson, who we talked about, um, is interesting. Yep. I wonder, just because we have so many quarterback outs, what what do you think about taking Watson and seeing yeah. if Fields falls to us? I like I like that. And that gives us even the the Rogers. I mean exactly. Rogers, yeah. We could sub Rogers out for Jordan Love if he doesn't play or whatever, too, right? So Yep. Um yeah, we basically have every single quarterback out if we want. So I do think it doesn't make sense to to grab fields there. And yeah, we know this guy. Yeah, I think that was a good call there. I think there's a pretty big tier break in skill position guys. I mean, Watson, I just feel really confident with Watson running a full slate of routes that um, he's a pretty pretty high upside player the rest of the way. So um, Yeah, and we – I mean, Trevor Lawrence goes, this guy is Burrow. We'll see what G does here. Uh, he doesn't have anything lined up stack wise, but could set something up. But I think it was the, I think it was the right move. Yeah. And so if he doesn't go court, like there's only two teams, um, dark and whatever that one says at the end that we'll be looking for quarterbacks. So we could even if there's like a skill position guy we like, we could even I don't know because like I don't have a huge between like White Fields Watson or sorry White Fields Rogers uh, Cousins like I guess Fields is the is the best from a ceiling perspective pretty clearly, but his injury I don't know. Um, the only other thing, to, 
think through is who our tight end is going to be, right? Because our last two picks yeah. are quarterback tight end. Um, Fields is, so it's, Fields is gone. So. so Fields goes to G because he loves just twisting the knife. Uh, he, <laughs> there was no way he was going to take Fields if we didn't talk about him. Um, so yeah. I think we definitely yeah. wait on QB now, um, just knowing we're going to be able to get White or Cousins. And then the question is, like, who do we want to do at tight end? Oof. I mean, Con- Conklin gives you the double. If you do yeah. want to like bet, like if Mike White is balling and winning us this tournament, like Conklin's probably coming along for the ride or do you I think do I'll like, go. A, yeah. What yeah. do you think? I was going to agree with you on, on Conklin. Cause just cause like, there's not a lot of other talented guys here. Um, and Conklin's role has been there was a period where Uzoma was taking a bunch of snaps. That's kind of died out. Uh, but sorry, what was the other option you were gonna throw out besides Conklin? I was, I mean, I didn't feel good about it. I was gonna say like Komet gives us a mini with Watson. Oh, but yeah. I, I I agree with you. Like this tier is so fucking flat that it's like what might as well break it in favor of correlation here. Yeah. I agree. And if yeah. if someone's sick enough to draft Mike White without Garrett Wilson or Tyler Conklin, like I'll I'll salute them. Maybe yeah, set up the the Mike White uh, Braxton Barrio stack to get unique uh, in this one. <laughs> uh, thank you, Consigliere. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's any day now here it could be. I, I might sneak <laughs> in another stream or two, but we're we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Well, wow, it's gonna be. I could go down in uh, streaming history as doing the last draft with uh, before he was the father. That would, that'd go in my uh, Twitter bio for sure. <laughs> I, I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> SFB twelve Pete's final uh, childless stream. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Let's see. Do we have any other interesting teams here? Uh, Mookie doing the back door with Herbert. So he grabs Herbert, then goes Everett and Mike Williams is certainly interesting. Indy mm. here out of the 10 slot does get the Lamar Andrews. We have a Hertz AJ Brown from Nez. Wow, Jamal Williams in the third. Nez says, <laughs> fuck your regression. I'm taking Jamal Williams in the third. That is bold. But I mean, and then a little mini with Evan Ingram. Fading Jamal Williams is just, uh, it's not working. Might as well draft him. <laughs> no. third. Yeah, lean into the skid. <laughs> yeah, so everyone, I mean, just looking at these teams, like, everyone, <laughs> everyone's drafting, like, maybe there's, I don't know, some teams that aren't stacking up or maybe building teams, like, differently from how I would. I guess the first, like, team two and team three, I don't quite, see the angles they're going for from a stacking perspective, but like almost everyone else is just like seemingly stacking up games or at least individual teams, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I don't, I don't really understand. Like I don't necessarily mind uncorrelated teams, but if I'm not worrying about correlation and I'm quote unquote, you know, scooping up value, I'm definitely not taking a quarterback in the second round. Yeah, that's my thought as well. Or even like with Trevor Lawrence. Like if I had that team, I'd probably go in for the stealing quarterback in fields over Lawrence. So, uh, okay, so we're going to have our choice of 
white versus cousins, I guess. Or yeah. Even, um, I think just because we double stacked, that's where I would lean. I would go with white just because, like you said, getting less things right um, would make me to lean white over cousins. And I'm not even yeah. like, I don't think cousins has a higher ceiling really. Um, no. I don't know. No, I think, so. yeah, I think it's it was a coin flip if it was just like Wilson and Jefferson who you wanted. Um, maybe I would slightly lean Jeff or Cousins just because Minnesota's at home. But once we took Conklin, I think I definitely prefer. It, yeah. There's just so few scenarios where Conklin and Wilson are getting there, and Garrett Wilson's not optimal for that roster. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, Mike White's gonna get there through through passing. So I think like I think that's a situation where double stack makes more sense versus like if you're gonna go with Lamar Hurts, like they're probably getting there with 100 yards rushing or something, and you probably just want to sing uh, single stack them. Yeah. Um, cool. Nice. Um, you want to do one quick uh, battle royale six person one here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's keep the Baz Brigade out of this one. Yeah, that was a heavy. We didn't even comment on that, but that was a heavy Baz Brigade draft. I guess all these like weekly, weekly They're drafts early. really for the for the sickos. I was doing some of these battle royales this afternoon, and it was uh, only Baz Brigade in those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, the playoff contest will. I feel like that maybe because that attracts like less of the like pure dfs crowd which i think is drawn to these and maybe more of just like the casual players for the for the playoff contest i don't know I'm, I'm hoping it draws out a little more casuals yeah i think two people because the 12 persons take just a little bit longer to fill that people get antsy and they're like i can just hop in a battle royale and i know it's gonna fill in 30 seconds yeah which uh that's uh we do have a tag in the deposit kingdom discord uh you can go into the badge bros channel and tag people when you're trying to fill uh you first you get the role uh, in the lobby there's a channel that's roles and you can opt in to the badge bros role and then people can tag you when they're trying to fill these drafts oh that's cool yeah uh this comment here i thought was interesting uh, is it wider to Jets just not let other quarterbacks succeed? Feel like Jets kind of played the game sharper in play calling. I I'm not like a film expert, but one thing I did see uh related to that is that Mike White just and Joe Flacco both got the ball out just considerably faster than Zach Wilson did and also takes sacks at a much lower rate. So I think that's like the biggest thing. Like I think Zach Wilson has a ton of arm talent in a way that Flacco and White maybe don't, but they just play the game a lot smarter and just, like, make make the quick reads in a way that Wilson can't. So, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's my t- I don't think White's this, like, unbelievable talent, but I think he's yeah. just, like, competent in a way that Zach Wilson is not. And if the thesis is Garrett Wilson is just really fucking good and has been held down by atrocious quarterback play, like, that also boosts how you view Mike White as well, because it's saying he's has, you know, what could legit be like a top 12 talent. Um, so uh, what do we want to, where the fuck is Mark Andrews? Holy cow. Mark Andrews ADP is low. Um, we could probably wait on him. Do you, do you want to get a Hill share here? Anything else? Yeah. 
Yeah, Tyreek is the the one that jumps out to me. Yeah. That game could be that game could be fun. I think people are going to shy away from it a little bit. They're going to worry about the Dolphins on the road at San Francisco, but that game could pop off. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And we didn't really touch on it in in the charts this week, but Tyreek's role is just like absolutely insane. Like he's he's even like kind of in a tier above guys like um, you know, from a t- target earning and role perspective, guys like Diggs and and Jefferson. Like he's just been absolutely smashing this year. So, um I think I would draft him as the first wide receiver overall if we were doing like a rest of season fantasy rankings. I'm I'm with you. I think it's really close between him and Jefferson, but just the way that offense is constructed, yeah. like give me Tyreek Hill. Um, do you want to do Andrews here? I do think he's like the best pick that's available, but I'm open to other avenues too. Yeah, I'd go Andrews. I think. I think you can go a lot of different ways, but I think just that I think like it's a tier of two. And maybe you'd even say Kelsey's in his own tier, and then Andrews in his tier after that at tight end. Yeah. And then it's like a bunch of guys after that. But like there's a big drop off, especially in these, you know, we're gonna have six like good football players in these drafts. But if you don't take Andrews or Kelsey, you're gonna have like a question mark at tight end. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I I still think that the the tight ends in this format, and obviously they can they can burn you too, but there's just no one else that can match Travis Kelsey's ceiling other than Andrews. Yeah. No. I mean, they're, yeah. If you, they're basically wide receivers, both Kelsey and, and Andrews and they're elite wide receivers in terms of their, their target earning. Um, they're, yeah. They're true outliers of the position. It's been funny to watch Nick Chubb scream up ADP. Like when these opened, he was a little bit below. And then the uh, the DVP bros come out and uh, Nick Chubb screams up. <laughs> yep. Well, versus Houston, I think that matchup versus Houston, probably a lot of people are just looking at that and just, I don't know. If the offense, if Watson can can get the offense going, that could be like a Nick Chubb four-touchdown game against that awful Houston team. Yeah, um, but yeah, his role is just not that, not that big. Obviously, we should have some nice options here at wide receiver. Uh, AJ Brown versus Tennessee seems nice. Amon Ra versus Jacksonville, Waddle, San Francisco, or we could double up on running back. Oh, here go the wide receivers flying off the board. What do you like? Um, I was gonna throw out. McCaffrey because yeah. of that the mini correlation there. I don't think we have to force it, but yeah, I think I like McCaffrey and Barkley. Um yeah, I don't know about the dub. I I feel like like obviously Waddle and Tyree can both have huge games. We've seen that this year, but I think I would slightly shy away from the double stack. Um well, it's also one that you you don't have to force. Like we can take McCaffrey here, um, and then we can see if Waddle's there. And then if you yeah. end up with both Hill and Waddle, like no one's taking two. I would I would doubt. Yeah, I think if yeah, there's a, kind of a drop off if we don't get one of McCaffrey or Barkley there at at running back. So 
I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, Waddle Waddle does go. Who who do you like here? I don't know. Should we just take Lamar? Or I was just you, gonna say, might as well. You could stack up Lamar too. I think we should just. I think we should do that. Like if if Baltimore goes off, it's so gonna be so heavily concentrated with with those two guys. I think. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. And I, I don't think <laughs> I don't want to touch any Denver bringbacks in this no. case. This 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 is uh the poster the poster boy for not forcing a bring back is the fucking Denver Broncos <laughs> averaging 14.6 points a game. <laughs> God, yeah, that's just man. I I still can't believe how bad how bad Russ is and like how good also how good the Seahawks are without Russ like is just completely breaking breaking my brain. Like everyone was so sure that Pete Carroll was this dumbass coach who was limiting Ross and they were so dumb for not taking a quarterback in the draft. I was one of these people. I'm not saying other people are, are dumb. Like I totally thought that too. And then just Geno smashes Russ is terrible. Like Ken Walker running back. They didn't really need is like the number one dynasty running back now. <laughs> like they just, the Seahawks just got a lot of things, right? It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's uh absolutely insane. Um, I, I, it, it does seem like Nathaniel Hackett's going to make it through this season though, which is, which is kind of crazy to me. Like if he wasn't fired now, like what's getting him fired? <laughs> they should have fired him once they couldn't get Rogers. Like that was yeah. the whole reason he was brought in. Right. And then yeah, he couldn't do that. And, oh man, I don't know. Yeah. Was, I wonder like, what is it with Russ? Like I haven't heard any good, th- like, did he just have like crazy athleticism early in his career? And is that wore off? He hasn't been able to like do the gunslinging, like run around and make, make plays thing. Or like, I'm just trying to figure out like what caused this massive drop off. It's, it's kind of tough to, tough to um, even think about. Yeah. So thinking about our end game here a little bit, um, basically like correlation wise, I don't think there's anything with what we've already done that we need to think about necessarily. No, I would just think we should just take like, I think here we should just take whoever we think is like the highest. Yeah. Feeling player. And then with our last pick, like get a little off the wall, like scroll down a bit. But I think here we should, I don't know. Um, I mean, we have Mixon, I think, is decent. If he plays, we can always sub him out. I think ETN, same logic. I, um, I like ETN for this one. Yeah. Detroit's been so bad. And ETN sounds like he's completely fine. Yeah. I like I like that. That's a really high total game. Um, yeah. And then we can get... Yeah. Like, if you're wanting to get weird, I mean... Pickens against Atlanta is interesting. If you want to play Mike Williams back versus the Raiders has some interesting stuff. You could go all the way down to like a Traylon Burks. Um, Kind of crazy to me that like DK Metcalf isn't getting drafted uh, in some of these. Yeah. Throw throw your dart. Anyone's good with me. Do you think Metcalf is like off the wall enough? The only 
the only other thing I would say, I, I feel like you don't have to get quite as off the wall on a Tuesday because okay. this ADP is going to get settled uh, way, way more later in the I, week. Okay. I like Mac. I like Metcalf. Metcalf. Here. Yeah. Like he, I think he's undervalued. He's been a little unlucky from a touchdown perspective this year. Like hasn't had any like massive blowout games. So I think that's maybe what's suppressing his ADP, but um, yeah. It, yeah. And, and my thought too, is just like, if we can, you know, someone like ETN, I think once he's practicing, you know, and, and completely good, like I think his ADP moves up a smidge. And so then I start to say, okay, if you're drafting early in the week and you're getting some combos that the rest of the field isn't getting, I'm less worried. Whereas like when I'm drafting Sunday morning, I'm like, we better get fucking weird because all of this shit has been established. And there's so many of these combos that have already been drafted. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, interesting. Yeah, this is a fun team here. So this one we just drafted Lamar to Andrews. Oh, where did it go? Um, Lamar to Andrews. We have the CMC Tyree Kill mini, and then some one offs, ETN and Metcalf. Definitely just massive ceilings to all of these guys. Yeah, this team, this team is really fun. Um, yeah, I like the I like the Lamar to Andrews. Stack a lot too. I think that's just been undervalued by recency bias a little bit. So that's a fun one to have. For cool. sure. Land the plane, Sam. Yeah. So um Pete, thanks. Thanks for joining. Um, we will be back next week. I think uh Connor is hopefully healthy by then for another week of stat chasing. Other than that, um, I'll be posting the charts. We talked through this week on Twitter. If you want to look at those in more detail, I think they're they're helpful for your sit starts, for your your waivers, um, for your DFS. So I'll get those out on Twitter at Sherman underscore FFB. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, good luck to everybody in week thirteen. We'll see yep, and we'll also we'll be. Uh... We'll be back tomorrow night. I believe Leone is going to join us on ship chasing. We are chasing uh, the playoffs in our 10K NFC league. So we're going to break down some of the decisions there. We lost Kyle Pitt. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we have Trey McBride. There's going to be lots of, you know, Jelani Woods, Hunter Henry type talk on uh, a tomorrow show as we piece together our waiver wire situation. Maybe a, is there going to be a rehash of the uh, the backup kicker discussion between? Uh... <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, exactly. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out in the chat. Uh, and thank you again to uh, Sam and Drico for doing such great work on stat chasing this year. Like Sam said, check out those charts. We'll retweet Sam's charts on the ship chasing handle. Definitely hop in the Discord and chill with us if you guys have not yet. So for Sam, I'm Pete. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Nice. Peace. Peace.